Hello and welcome to the Sync Lodge podcast series Exploring Music, where we explore the obscure, where we delve in deep into the vast vaults of great but maybe not so known music, and at times the industry that for better or worse supports it. For each episode, we will bring together two music industry professionals to engage in a passionate yet casual discussion, all focused on a chosen theme. My name is Lionel Lodge, and I will be your reluctant moderator, preferring to let my guests do most of the talking. For this episode, which is titled 80s Funk and Soul, we are very fortunate to have with us Daniel Altendorf and Jeremy Newton. Daniel Altendorf, who has a BA Honours in Media Studies from the University of Portsmouth, started in the music industry as co-founder of the still operational Concrete Music, with duties including running weekly new music nights at a number of different venues in London and Portsmouth, and stage management for a number of UK festivals. On top of this, Daniel worked his way up from music assistant to key count manager at Universal Music's production music division. He made the move of leaving Universal in 2018 for No Sheet Music, where Daniel holds the position of business development manager. Welcome, Daniel. Hi, nice to meet you. And joining Daniel is Jeremy Newton, who has a degree in history and international relations from Nottingham Trent University and started his working career as an account manager at Achilles Size, where they create bespoke art and installations for all types of interiors. From there, he moved over to be the business development manager at the Odyssey Media Collective, where they produce high-speed video production. He then took a year away from Odyssey to work freelance as a business development manager at video production company Run Productions. At the same time, Jeremy started and has continued to this day working as a DJ, promoter and radio host under the name Uncle Vibes, playing regularly at renowned London venues in addition to festivals including Secret Garden Party, Shambhala and Boomtown hosting the monthly Adolfo show on Soho Radio, promoting various parties rooted in groove, including the legendary Open Vinyl Sessions, and has graced Ronnie Scott's The Hospital Club, The Groucho Club, and Paradise, and is currently resident at Omira, Jack Salomon's, and Strong Room Studios. After a year run at Run Productions, Jeremy returned to Odyssey, where he took up the position of video producer. But in 2015, he joined Adolfoy Music at his current position of music supervisor, overseeing and delivering bespoke compositions, sound design, and sync for national and international advertising content for brands including BMW, Stella Artois, KFC, HSBC, Amazon, and more. Welcome, Jeremy. Hello. Okay, so we're going to be talking about 80s funk and soul. It's quite a broad topic. Yeah, yeah. but but uh, an interesting one, and a 100%. very interesting one, and we haven't touched this one yet. So, we, we did a '60s R&B soul and northern soul one. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this is a couple decades later. Yeah, uh-huh. I think we'll probably bridge across a little bit from obviously the uh, influences uh, from mm-hmm. the '50s and '60s as well. But yeah, it's yeah. all kind of interlinked, though, isn't it? Yeah. 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 You know, anything with a groove is kind of it's, there's there's a lineage mm-hmm. that. Yeah, but the 80s was quite interesting because it was post-disco, right? Yeah. Oh, it kind of straddles. Disco kind of straddles the the late 70s and the early 80s. And what's really interesting about this period is that it kind of blends electronic, well, new means of production with kind of like live instrumentation as well. There's a lot of string influence in 80s soul that you can take from the late 70s disco as well. You can hear the strings in that there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely mirror the same kind of patterns. Good radio voice there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. so, so maybe we start with just some of the premier artists, some of the best known, and then we can go back oh, down. So many. To, yeah. There's so, so many. I mean, at the moment, in terms of what I'm listening to, I'm listening to a lot of like Patrice Russian. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. A lot of boogie stuff. A lot of Joe Baton. I'm actually seeing him at Ronnie Scott's in a couple of weeks. Oh, right. Which is very exciting. It's still going. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, he's probably what? Yeah. In his 70s now? Yeah, I said what it is, maybe last year yeah yeah and he's been doing festivals and touring around and still going and you see him get up and you're thinking man yeah, yeah, yeah. this guy's just like legendary yeah, how yeah. many decades does your work span yeah and like still relevant still got people moving 100 and the best thing about those kind of events those kind of gigs is the crowd is so diverse it spans such a wide range of ages you've got the young people there like i went with my dad and my brother it was kind of a family album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when you can go and see artists like that you can really put weight behind their craft um, yeah. still hot, eh? still doing it. Still doing it. And like, still hitting that xylophone line. Yeah. Like, you know, you're you're yeah. like, well, I don't even have that energy. You know? <laughs> I, I've actually seen Moriere's probably about, about four or five times. Yeah. And you have to remember that he's in his late 70s. And you kind of forget that as yeah. well. Yeah. He's not a young man anymore. Yeah, yeah. And a couple of the gigs I've seen, he hasn't had the same energy that he has in previous gigs. And then I saw him again recently at Ronnie Scott's and he bought it in full effect. Right, yeah. right, right. He's just killed it, eh? Yeah, totally. The other one as well that springs to my mind would be Donald Bird. Blackbirds before that, if you were talking about coming out of the 70s into the 80s, yeah. a lot of the music the Blackbirds were making was late 70s, but was still being played and got a lot bigger during the 80s when that kind of soul movement became a lot more dancey and stuff, right? He's definitely one of my favourites. He did that song, Rock Creek Park. Yeah. It's quite a famous song. And um, what's this big tune? Um, we say, Lovers Come Around yeah, lovers, yeah which is a very famous Paradise Garage kind of disco track but interesting anecdote about Donald Birds and the Blackbirds he was a lecturer really at Washington University doing music because he was Donald Bird beforehand right yeah when he was like jazz funk artist yeah, yeah. and then the bands, the Blackbirds, they were comprised of his students. Cool. Yeah. So he got a bunch of young guys. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And he was kind of orchestrating. They gave him the life again. He was like, yeah, yeah. I'm going back into the game. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many artists from that era and from that whole sound. I'm listening to a lot of Philly soul at the moment, which is amazing. There's such a rich heritage there. And you've got labels like Philadelphia International and the sounds of Philadelphia. And you've got producers like Gamble of the Half. People like that, mother, father, sister, brother, Dexter Wanzel. Yeah. There's so many different sub chapters. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's regionalized as well, because that was all based around one city. So you had like Philadelphia, Detroit, New York, London had a thing going mm-hmm. on, you know, and then you had places in Europe and further afield yeah. where that, that music was kind of it being spread, made. In yeah. the 80s. Where yeah. it's a movement, that's the thing. It was a movement. It's right? a feeling. There's it's a, a feeling. lot of things, yeah, yeah. 100%. There's a documentary that I watched on Netflix recently called The Black Godfather. Oh, I haven't seen um, it. It's amazing. It's about a guy called Clarence Avon. And basically, he's a man with, let's say, fingers in many pies. He built himself on being a connector of people, whether that's in film, music, across different things. Yeah. Especially amongst black artists, black actors. One person he associated with was Don Cornelius, mm. who runs Soul Train, right? Oh, the guy who used to present Soul Train. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. In this documentary, they describe Soul Train and Soul Music. They were like, Soul Train was the part of the civil rights movement no one knew they had. And the guy says the part it was, was joy. That was that feeling of joy and and bringing the music to a wider audience. And people from Soul Train being able to learn about black culture in a way that wasn't available to them previous to that 
this documentary, you definitely should watch it if you've got any interest in the arts. The guy the is... The Black Godfather. Yeah, yeah. Clarence Avon, the guy's name is. Yeah, I'll watch that. Yeah, he's brilliant. So 80s funk and soul, you're saying that 60s to 70s, it evolved. But it's, it's constantly evolving. I guess it's like the feel and the groove, which is consistent. And that yeah. manifests itself in so many different genres and styles that aren't just restricted to that time period. And you can trace it back to... And like blues, yeah. I guess, in the turn of the century. It's all rooted in the group, right? And then jazz was kind of a, a manifestation of that in some respects. And then 60s soul, Motown. Be, Motown. And then even now with forms of like, well, hip hop obviously is the massive case study and example of taking that feeling on. But even now you've got electronic forms of music, types of house music and types yeah. of jungle and genres that are inspired by that feel, mm -hmm. which I think is quite an important point uh, to focus I guess on. it's sampled quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. The sample game is huge. Huge. And I think that's how people from the younger generations end up finding a connection. They'll be listening to, or in a personal experience, you, you're listening to something on the radio, and then my dad would say, "Oh yeah, that's so and so," and I'd be like, "I don't know what that, what, 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 what you mean?" Yeah, for sure. Like, no, no, that's like Nelly or whoever, whoever yeah, it is yeah, at the time. Yeah. And you go and search out the song, find it, and then next thing you know, you're in a wormhole of soul music, and then you're chasing it back. And samples are so repetitive, and now have become such commonplace in so many different types of music. And a lot of it is originating from soul music. Mm -hmm. The horns in, in hip hop have yeah. always been the breaks, there. Yeah. the horns, the percussion, all of it, all, all vocal samples. I mean, but I think hip hop is a good place to start because yeah. I, mean, I know in terms of time period, well, it started in the late 70s and 80s, but the, the hip hop that I used to listen to as a kid when I was an impressionable teenager loving music was 90s hip hop. And that was second wave, second generation hip hop where samples were huge. The producers then were actively seeking out all these rare and obscure funk breaks, vocals, horn arrangements, and incorporating that into a new sound. At that point, there was very little ways of trying to claim back, right? To say like, right, you've used my sample in this. These guys were ripping stuff and using it, and it was back out before yeah, anyone even sure. knew it had happened. Royer has experienced a massive rebirth because he was such a highly sampled artist. His career took on a new form. Like financially, I don't know how well, you know, he kind Hopefully. of- Hopefully. Yeah, you'd, you'd like to think so. <laughs> you would like to think so. The sampling has done that to quite a few 100%. artists, older artists' careers. It's all of a sudden yeah. become really cool. 100%. You know, bands like Steely Dan were sampled. They were widespread. I think James Brown's one of the most sampled artists ever. Yeah. Um, and he then was, you, he was kind of quite prominent. Like yeah, James of course. Brown, and he always was prominent. Of course, of course. And then it works on the flip side, right, yeah. as well. So then you've got groups like De La Soul, yeah. who now can't release any of their music to make money from it because none of the samples are cleared in it. Now, as a fan of hip hop, I'm sure as you are as yeah. well, to know that a band like De La Soul, or a group like De La Soul, can't make money from the music they're making that had such a huge impression on my life is crazy. I mean, I don't want to diverge too much, but Three Feet High Rise is one of the best albums yeah, I've ever heard. For me, that was like the introduction. But to there's too many samples and too many... Uh, too so many samples, not cleared, they, no not permissions. Cleared. They just, they were doing this, right? It was. You would think that somebody would work it through now and get it all cleared. Well, a lot of them, I think, is past that point. I don't think the recuperations they'd have to pay are too big for them to even right, get the clearance. Right. But I think some people are creating new masters. 
So they're creating sample-free kind of re-records of the original tracks. So they're basically mimicking it. Yeah, note for note, but without any samples. I think there is a bit of a loophole in that respect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's closing down, isn't it? The murky world of sync. Yeah. <laughs> but also the murky world of copyright now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's happening is just crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Someone was talking to me the other day and was saying about the 30-second rule. I thought if your sample was under 30 seconds, you wouldn't get pulled up on it. I was thinking, you must be crazy <laughs> these days. I, I thought it was like eight notes or something. Yeah, like I mean, I don't know if you can get away with two bars at the moment. <laughs> like the way it is. Yeah, sample uh, is a sample. Yeah, it yeah, is indeed. Say. And rightfully so as well, right? You can't take away from the fact that an artist that created that should be able to gain money from any kind of usage of it. But then, you, you know, you could take it back further, though, because the samples that were created originally, which are being sampled, were probably samples of something else. And that's kind of what the beauty of music is, is that you're inspired by different sounds and you create something being inspired by that, yeah, using yeah. a similar kind of tone or tempo or arrangement. That's a big topic right now, isn't it? That's a huge topic. Well, the original but, samples. Or, 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 just, original? or just Marvin Gaye's estates going after oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. certain artists, right? And just saying... It sounds like that Robin Thicke track, right? Yeah, right? Blurred Lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like a Marvin Gaye song. Yeah. But that wasn't... That it was close. Really, yeah, that was, that was, was closer than close. That was deep. That yeah. was closer than close. That, I think that one was probably nailed on. I think he... I don't know how you don't know at that point. Or you can't say, I wasn't influenced by it at all. Which is where it's got to get to, right? Yeah, yeah, That's all they, sure. the question they were asking was, at any point, do you think you could have been influenced by hearing that song. We had on one podcast a uh, musicologist and he was saying that he Pizza Roxendale? No, Ivan Chandler. Okay. And he was saying that when that was going on with Blurred Lines that he was talking to some lawyers, some attorneys here, some other musicologists and they were saying in European court it wouldn't have flown at all. Really? Right, because you can only copyright melody right. and the lyrics. Right. right. You can't copyright a drum groove. Right, okay. Right? If you could do that, then everybody's in trouble. So yeah, yeah, of course. In trouble, right? And, you know, you, you look at the Rolling Stones, you look at Led Zeppelin, you look at the Beatles, you look at how, you know, all the big iconic... Mm, they ripped off, well, well ripped off or influenced or inspired yeah. by classic blues. Yeah. And what, what, where, would, where would the arts be in all sectors of art if you couldn't be influenced? Well, that's yeah, it. That's right, the kind of... The, the million yeah. dollar question, right? Yeah, and yeah. The, the, some musicologists say... It's the Blurred Lines. The, the, it's the Blurred Lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a great name. It was a great name for that, yeah. yeah. The, the, some musicologists say that there is nothing that's original anymore. Yeah. Totally original. You cannot find anything that is, right? There's only 12 notes, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, right. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's crazy. But anyway, so back to fucking soul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned it earlier as well, the Northern Soul. Thing I think, and and again going back to the kind of movement, the fashion, everything that went with eighties soul was also a massive part of its attraction and its success. So we say longevity is people really drummed in to a feeling, a social group that would then expand outside of just their personal feeling and into clothing. And I was talking to my dad, and he was saying you would walk the streets of London and you would know which group someone belonged to. Right? You had punks, you had rockers, you had mods, you had soul boys. Mm -hmm. And you could tell that just from their dress. I mean, you got the differences between, and then you got the Northern Soul, which was getting a different kind of fashion to what people were wearing down in the South. And that was just a want or a need or a desire to move away from a generic group, right, and and stand out or become, have a have a have a recognised clique. Or yeah, recognize, yeah. Oh, I'm part of this. This is what I associate mm -hmm. with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, I was again reading through the other day you got with Northern Soul like Baggy Oxfords 
loafers and sports vests and then down south mohair jumpers jelly shoes and the wedge apparently if you had the right hair and you could rock a wedge that was the way to go <laughs> i mean again you see it today even looking at modern types of music or modern movements and techno has a very clear look to it the black right there's a certain all black you've got to listen to a certain type labels drum codes massive and all this kind of thing it doesn't ever change but it definitely helps to have a solid core to to any kind of music or any kind of social movement right and 100%. i think soul provided that for a lot of people throughout a lot of different generations 60s 70s 80s even if you want to talk about the 90s soul to soul come along and you've got the funky dread movement with yeah, them as well sure. jazzy b uh, he talks quite openly about having a feeling that they were different and that they created a sound and a look that ran parallel to each other, ran with each other. Mm -hmm. But I think nowadays it's less kind of like, I don't know if tribal is the right word to use. But no, I think that's a good word. Nowadays it's not so prescribed. Mm. People are not defined by one particular genre, one particular look. Yeah. Which I think is a good thing. Yeah, people are far more diverse. Much more diverse. I like this and I like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And touching on the fashion point, your your style isn't dictated by the music you listen to. No, no, no. Speaking personally. Yeah, point, yeah. I think that's quite general now. This yeah. Is, yeah. And I don't know if, if the internet has got anything to do with that or the fact that there's so much music and so much kind of information that's available. There's so many genres and sub-genres. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. The availability has got to definitely be a huge thing, right? Again, these, if you're going back to 80s, you're talking about record stores. You, you go that's to the only shops. way you're getting yeah, exactly. the music. It's the only way. So if you're listening to one thing and you've got a certain amount of money to spend each week on a record, yeah, yeah. you're not really going to go, I might try or see a case you like and go, I might yeah. try and listen to that today. In you can't general, just put it on your Spotify No, you can't. Yeah, just you like, to buy the you have to, you're vinyl, thinking about yeah. it. It's a conscious decision to go and yeah. find and search out this music. And then certain record shops would have certain genres of music. They specialise. They would specialise yeah. in, in, in the, different genres. The guy genres. behind the counter would know what the great new stuff was. Exactly. And, yeah. I heard exactly. the Northern Soul terminology came from a journalist, Dave Godin, and he had a record store at one point and he would have football fans from the North come in and he'd try and flog them the latest soul records and they wouldn't want to listen to them. They'd want to listen to what they were describing as Northern Soul. So he just started calling More the upbeat, term. Yeah. It was a sales pitch for him. Apparently he wrote the word Northern Soul on a box to yeah. say these are the albums of the Northerners when they come yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. And that's how it began. And it obviously does have a difference in sound. It was a lot more danceable, it was a lot more upbeat. I think yeah. going with that, the dance moves and the dancing, they would go and kind of perform was a lot more yeah. athletic, a lot more flamboyant, yeah, if you yeah, like, right. than perhaps the records that were being played down in the South. Yeah. It's interesting to know, like again, I didn't know that until quite recently. Growing up in Canada, I was associated Northern Soul with Philly. Yeah. In that continent, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like the northern place for soul music. Yeah, right? yeah. And I didn't realize until recently that that was actually, no, they were referring to Northern England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Right? I always thought Northern Soul was Philadelphia. Good assumption to make coming from where you would have been based at the yeah. time, right? Yeah, but that's just based on your geography. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's based on where you grew up. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if anybody else saw it that way, maybe, but that was my association. Yeah, I'm Northern sure Soul is it's all kind of B sides, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. all rare. Exactly. Obscure tracks obscure that stuff. never kind of had any commercial success. Yeah, they didn't like the hits, right? But then there was a few DJs who, or people who, or enthusiasts who went over to the States and were true record shops across the whole of the East Coast and further inwards, and then go back and then just play these records that no one had ever heard. Not many people even heard them in America, and they yeah, came yeah. over. And what was really interesting is you'd have these artists 
who didn't really have a great deal of success in the States. And then they will come over to these obscure, well, not obscure, but like northern towns, places like Wigan, places like Blackpool. Yeah. And 2,000 people would know every song to their work. <laughs> they go nuts. I can't believe like, you're what here. what the hell's going on? Like, how could they process that? <laughs> yeah, amazing. So good. It's amazing. Wigan had a massive scene as well. Wigan. Yeah. Wigan, Stoke, Manchester. Blackpool, Manchester as well. Yeah. But then that kind of led into like the whole kind of Hacienda. Hacienda music, yeah. right? Going back to what we were talking about earlier about like the groove and the evolution of that. That's a good example. So the 80s funk and soul stuff. I know in America, there was a lot of artists. Was it produced here a lot? Oh, there was a huge movement in the UK. Jazz funk whole massive jazz funk movement artists like light of the world who then turned into incognito atmosphere 1142 so, so obviously a bit later on but jazzy b before that as yeah. well jazzy's groove i think was a very if it was 90s it was early 90s it was i think it was like early 90s yeah, but in yeah. the 80s there was a massive a, a prolific uk jazz funk movement people like imagination and there was a whole average kind of white scene. band average white average white band were like a bit earlier, weren't yeah. they? They were more seventies. But no one could believe they, they were Scottish. Were, yeah, they were Scottish. No one could believe that. Um, no one could believe. I didn't that. even know that. Yeah, yeah. Average white man was Scottish because obviously there was that hit they had to pick up the pieces. It's a banging funk tune, and they basically toured America after the success of that tune. And they were playing to predominantly black audiences. Yeah. And they could not believe no one could, no one could that there were these yeah. five Scottish guys. <laughs> you know, I think the drummer was—I don't know where he was from. I think it was mixed race or something like that. But the remainder of the band were surprised. You guys are the average white band. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What did you expect? <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I think there's a story about James Brown in response to that. Put together a, a track under the name of the Above Average Black Band. A bit of a, Some petty stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was Thumb Sorry, of Love. I yeah, think. fair enough. But yeah, going back to the 80s in London and further afield, Rare Groove, Jazz Funk, there was yeah. a huge amount of artists and, and labels. And uh, Rewind Festival now still going has such a huge following, huge, huge following every year of our old soul boys, old Northern soul heads as well, all coming together. If you can still throw a festival now, playing like that, the music from the eighties, then that's I mean, the that's, and they, yeah. they have a lot of original artists on it. Yeah, well, I mean, if they're around and they're available to play, then I'm sure they'll be there, you know. And and DJs as well, right? A lot of it was DJs playing, but like you say, B sides and edits as well. Larry Levan, massive on soul edits, um, still that was in the states. Yeah, that was in the states. But I'm saying that kind of. Um, culture was yeah, still yeah, around yeah, yeah, you know yeah. like well, those that, records were being played yeah. well that whole movement gave birth to like rave culture yeah. essentially and I think the soul movement played a huge role in the, the evolution when it went from more funky to electronic it retains a lot of the funky elements a huge amount of the DJs the rare groove DJs and people who were in the jazz funk movement in the 80s were instrumental in the birth of rave culture and jungle and house music. Yeah. Going back to that point that I keep touching on, the evolution yeah. of the groove. Norman Jay and yeah. Pete Tong, they came through playing yeah. Northern Soul and Soul Records into playing dance music, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Even now, yeah. still holding it down, radio shows, yeah, DJ sure. sets here, there and everywhere. Like Westwood. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like that, DJs like that, they were, you know, they all kind of came through this, this movement. Even to this day now, with DJs wise, the best DJ set I've ever seen was at Deck Mantle. The first year I went, Motor City Drum Ensemble played a set, and the whole set is Rare Groove 5, 80s and, and B-sides. That's all it is, the whole set. And it's like, over the last few years, it's just gained more and more notoriety as one of these sets that if you was there, 
it meant a lot to everyone that was there. The DJ was on point. Perhaps, I mean, I don't want to insult anyone, but I'd say maybe one of the best sets he's ever played as well. You know, I don't know that for <laughs> sure. But from the reaction it's got, it seems like that. I know he exploded after that. And that's playing music that essentially would have gone down in the 80s in exactly the same yeah, manner. Yeah, it would have been received with the same enthusiasm, with the same love, with the same energy. Well, when the groove's there, it's good to dance to, right? It's just you can't such, go such wrong. a joyous thing. You can't go wrong with it. Labels that I'm really into at the moment, I mean, obviously, like, Sal Sol, S-A-L, S-O-U-L, are, like, the preeminent disco label. You'll recognise a lot of the tracks that came out on Sal Sol, but... You mentioned Larry Levant, mm. um, and he was quite involved in, I don't know, he, well, he wasn't signed to South Soul, but he used to play a lot of South Soul records, which used to grace the Paradise Garage and so on and so forth. We mentioned Joe Batan earlier, Joe Batan put out a few records on South Soul. I mean, just so many prolific 80s disco artists. They're an amazing label. Prelude Records, another 80s New York yeah. disco label, Wicked West End Records. Are amazing as yeah, well. Yeah, you mentioned Light of the World earlier. This Light of the World. Ensign. Were they, uh, yeah. They were, they were on Ensign. Which was a UK label. UK label, yeah. Back in the day as well, in the 80s, a lot of the majors was releasing as well, right? MCAs. Yeah, yeah. Rack. Yeah, Columbia. Yeah. All those Atlantic was still around. They were still releasing a lot of records, a lot of like soul and funk as well. For me, I'm not big on the labels, I'm better with the music and the artists. That was where my education has come from as a child and obviously having the experience of hearing the music being played to me rather than actively searching it out to begin with. Mm -hmm. I always kind of focused around that kind of sphere and so there was one CD that when I was a kid was played in kitchen parties constantly. <laughs> it was called 80s Soul Weekender. Right? It does what it says on the tin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does what it says on the tin. Um, it was released on the label actually is called Dino Entertainment. Dino? Yeah, Dino Entertainment. D-I-N-O. So like the, like a dinosaur rather than dynamite. But yeah. they're not actually around anymore. They fizzled out in the early 90s, but they were known for making compilation CDs. That's what they did. And there was two. I always remember just like, I remember the cases so clearly because I just used to stare at them. Because one of them was a red background. I think it was like people dancing. The other one was like a green whistle. And I just remember looking at that case. But this album was unbelievable. Mary Jane Girls, Luther Vandross, Fat Back Band, yeah, yeah. Gap Band. Yeah. It just goes on and on. Every song, I remember just listening to it and just being like, every single song is amazing. At that point, I was probably throwing myself around the kitchen <laughs> like a loon, you know, like a little kid enjoying myself. And that's lived with me for a long time. And that's definitely what I think was where my interest started, where it peaked, where I was kind of like, I need to know more about this genre. I want to learn all the tracks. I want to know about all the artists and really I started actively searching it out. So yeah, it wasn't really labels for me, but I'd moved into it through one particular album, if you like, that kind of right, opened, uh, opened up the world. compilation album. That... Yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's like the beauty of being a kid because you're so impressionable. Yeah, exactly. And something kind of resonates. You get very excited about it. And then, you know, that's your world. So you're consumed yeah, by yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 80s, you were a kid then? I was born in 1989. <laughs> so you were listening to it yeah. in the 90s? In the 90s, yeah, yeah. but I'm listening to 80s all the time, all through my childhood. I didn't listen to, I listened to 80s music solidly pretty much. And so reggae. you were a, sort of a decade back. Yeah. This is, this is cool. And then when I got to the 2000s, I started listening to hip hop. Right. So I literally was just chasing the decades. <laughs> yeah. um, 10 years behind. Yeah, always yeah, too exactly. late for the party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Always too late for the party. But that's it. I mean, I was born in 86. So I'm not that much older yeah. than you. I mean, I was four in 1990. 
but similarly, like music that I grew up doing, the music that was that was played in the in the house that my friends were playing, my friends' brothers were playing, was a lot of eighties funk and soul. Cool. So that's kind of what you build your kind of musical palette sure, around, sure. especially from the early age. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then hip hop was huge. And, and you saw the similarity. There was, there was, you saw well, hip hop is an evolution group. of that. Yeah, you know, in, in many respects, it's it's an original. Well, they, they started sampling that stuff. They right? started sampling that stuff, but you know, a lot of the, the eminent hip hop producers would have listened to that and lived it in that period, and that kind of informed how they produced and created music. But as a kid, when I was a teenager, hip hop was massive. It was massive '90s hip hop from America. There was a big UK scene as well. But then I kind of went back to it later when I started to DJ properly. Right. The main artist that comes to mind to me for that sort of thing for funk stuff is Rick James, right? Right. Okay. Have you read his autobiography? No. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like literally like I made a hit record. I had a threesome, smoked some crack, <laughs> made a hit record, had a foursome, no. smoked some crack. That's literally his, his autobiography. Um, <laughs> sounds yeah. about, sounds yeah, about yeah, right, really. Apt, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Rick James was, he was Motown. He came through Motown, right. actually. Yeah. And then, but he obviously is more detailed than that. There's a few anecdotes. Yeah, just broke yeah. it down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, don't buy the book. I'll give it to you now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's an amazing book. But yeah, Rick James is obviously... Yeah, he was the one that stood out for me. And like but he I said, was a pop star In, in well. southwestern Ontario, I was quite isolated from all of that in the 80s. But he lived in Canada for a bit. He? Yeah, interesting story about Rick James was he was drafted by the army. And then I think he spent like a couple of weeks or a couple of months in basic training. And then he was like, fuck this. And then he fled to Canada because he was from Buffalo, New York. Right, so it's just across the border. Far. It's just and right on the border. It's just around right? the border. I think he went to Toronto yeah. and he was like, 18, 19, and then joined a band who were more of like a rock and roll band and then got a bit of prominence there and started to develop music and then came back and just cleaned up. And became quite flamboyant. Oh, he was very flamboyant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't That's imagine that going well, damn well in the draft in the army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flamboyancy I mean, I flamboyance is not one of the things they necessarily look for. They try to downplay that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this was afterwards, but then, yeah, he signed to Motown and, and then I think he had an argument with Motown and then he found new labels. But Rick James was prolific, regardless of all of the hits. Like, obviously, you would give it to me, Mary Jane, Ghetto Life. Mm all of those tunes, but he was instrumental in a foundation of lots of different bands as a producer and an arranger, like people like the Mary Jane Girls. So he was instrumental in putting together that band, assembling them. He, I think he produced that track as well, yeah. Rick James was amazing. And also his videos as well. Ridiculous. Yeah. Funny, funny stuff. <laughs> he's just, he's, he's, he's a, never know, seen anything fun. like that before. Super freak, give it to me. It's brilliant. You need characters like that, right? You need <laughs> characters like that in any kind of music, any yeah, kind of, for sure. again, I keep using the word, but a movement. You need someone yeah. at the forefront of it that is pulling them, pushing it forward. Yeah, doing, sure. the doing the extreme. Doing the extreme, doing the things that people were too scared to do and making it. Because yeah. then people look at that person and they think, oh my God, Having I can do success yeah. with it. Yeah, I can sure. do that. Like it doesn't make a difference. I, I'm as or and especially I think uh, as an artist, <clears throat> you have to have a certain amount of narcissism to your, to yourself, right? And believe that you're the best. You have to be able to stand up in a room and say, "I am better than anyone in the room." To in order to continue to want to be better as well, right? You, well, yes, I think different artists have different kind of 
attitude. You have to have a certain amount of ego. You have to have yeah, a certain amount do. of yeah. confidence. Ego right? is the yeah. word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's probably a better word. So. Yeah. And but to stand out to be so flamboyant, you'd have to have a lot of guts, I think. A lot yeah, of sort sure. of have a lot of courage. And yeah. Say, okay. There's going to be a strange reaction to this, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. This is yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the people are going to go, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, and that's sure. a good thing, maybe, yeah, right? Totally. Yeah. So he supported a lot of artists and produced a lot of stuff. He was prolific mm. in that respect, yeah. Was he still on Motown during that stuff? I'm not sure what happened. I think there was a contractual fallout. Something happened. He put out a lot of really good stuff on Motown. And then he, I'm not sure who he signed to after that, but he moved to LA. And then obviously his drug habit worsened spiraled yeah. out of control as many have in LA yeah yeah for sure <laughs> yeah right imagine but he was still prolific even in amongst that and he had lots of new incarnations and collaborations but yeah I think Rick James is an amazing case study yeah like focal point to kind of look at if you're you could probably do a whole podcast on just on Rick James right? <laughs> <laughs> I told you about it I told you the story yeah, we know it's the story arc yeah <laughs> We are going to have to pause the conversation here as we have come to the end of episode one of two episodes titled 80s Funk and Soul with our very special guests, Daniel Altendorf and Jeremy Newton. This episode was recorded at The Joint, the central London rehearsal studios. You can find them at thejoint.org.uk. Our guest musicians playing along with the conversation were Joe Shearer on bass and Peter Meyerhofer on hand pan. Music was recorded at the Sync Lodge Recording Studio in Vienna, Austria. You have been listening to the Sync Lodge podcast series exploring music. My name is Lionel Lodge and I thank you very much for joining us.